There was a preacher, and uh, he was walking down the street one day, and uh, he came across uh, uh, a group of 10, 12 boys, and they were all gathered around this uh, mangy mutt, this dog. And, and he, thought, he thought maybe that they were going to abuse the dog, and so he came over to them and he said kind of in a stern voice like, hey, hey, what are you guys, what are you guys doing with this dog? He said, oh, no, no, nothing, nothing. We're not hurting this dog. This dog is fine. Um, he's, just a, he's just a stray, and we all want him. And we're trying to decide how uh, we're going we're gonna to have this dog. Like, who gets the dog? And so we've decided amongst ourselves that whoever can tell the biggest lie gets the dog. And the preacher just begins to just scratch his head and, and he just launches off in, into like sermon mode. And, and he begins to just say, don't you understand that lying's wrong and we have to be truthful and it's a sin. And, and he goes into about a 10-minute sermon uh, with, these, with these young boys wanting this dog. And, he, he, and he, at, at the very end, he says, now, when I was your age, I want you to know that I would never lie like this. And everything was silent for a moment. And he begins to walk away thinking that he's, he's really begun to change the minds of, of these young boys in this, uh, in this competition to see who could lie their way to get the dog. And the youngest of the boys looks at all of his friends. All right, give him the dog. Jesus wants us to be honest. Jesus wants us to track toward truthfulness. Jesus wants us to, to engage integrity. This morning, he, he is challenging us to be changed from the inside out. Uh, from the inside out, He is challenging the assumptions about how we're going to go about living. He's challenging the assumptions about how we live and love with other people. And this morning, He is challenging us uh, quite simply to be honest, to live in truthfulness, to, to love integrity. And He's going to say to us, honesty isn't just the best policy, it's the righteous one. If we're going to be encouraged this morning to live toward honesty, to track toward truthfulness, to be galvanized with integrity, then we're going to have to see what Jesus says cannot happen, cannot be done. And on the other side, what must be done. Join me in your text this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, go ahead and open it up. Page 678 is the page. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. We have to be honest. We have to be truthful. We have to be filled with integrity.
Matthew 5.33 Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And don't swear by your head. You can't make even one hair, white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is saying that honesty cannot be kept, cannot be lived on a sliding scale. Honesty is not to be lived on a sliding scale. Do you ever remember being a kid? Some of you have to go back farther than others. Uh, but you remember uh, maybe you were uh, playing on the playground or something and, and someone would say, hey, if you let me cut in line, I promise I'll give you my pudding at lunch. And then lunchtime came around and, and you were like, hey, where's my pudding? And they were like, oh, I was just kidding, cross my fingers. Do, do you remember that? It doesn't count. Ha ha. And in Jesus' day, the issue of crossing your fingers had, had, had been about oath taking. You see, oaths were about, uh, well, they were, tr they were originally intended to, to try and manage honesty, uh, but the starting point for oaths was dishonesty. Why is it that we need oaths? Oaths are only needed because. Uh, the assumption is that people are going to lie. And Jesus is making a whole new starting spot. Uh, he, he's making a whole new assumption about the way the world should be run. He's talking about a kind of community where we no longer need oaths because the starting spot is no longer dishonesty. And the problem in Jesus' day was everybody was making oaths as if they were crossing their fingers. It was a way of trying to get away with something. It was truth-telling on a sliding scale. Some of our oaths might be like this with our children, right? Oh, I promise, promise. I promise. Uh, maybe we've heard uh, oath-taking like this before. Cross my heart. Hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Oh, I promise it's going to happen. Do you pinky promise? Do you double pinky promise? Do you promise with a cherry on top? And Jesus says, quite frankly, hey, hey, you have to do away with oath-taking. Notice what He says in verse 34. I tell you, don't swear at all. Uh, there's not to be any more oath-taking. Because oath-taking just simply assumes that people are going to be dishonest with one another. No more truth-telling on a sliding scale. You see, what Jesus was trying to get at here was no more crossing your fingers. 
He says it in a number of ways. You see, in this time with Jesus, uh, you, would, uh, you would take oaths, but it, depending on what you swore by would be what or how much you needed to be truthful. So if I, if I swore by the dead grass dying in my bag out in my front yard, well, then the, the opportunity for me to be dishonest was much greater. Because after all, I only swore by the dead grass out in the bag in my lawn. I could say I swear by, uh, by the, 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 the leaves falling off the trees. And if I, if I said that, then the, the, the aspect of me not actually having to keep the oath would, would be much higher. And Jesus is saying, quite frankly, it doesn't matter what you swear by. Notice what he says. He says, don't swear at all. And he, he names several things. Don't, don't swear by heaven, for it's God's throne. Or earth, because it's his footstool. Or Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head. You, could, you can't make a, a single hair white or black. And here's what Jesus is saying. All oaths, all swearing comes back to God. All oaths sworn come under the authority of God himself. So those of us who would decide that would want to be righteous people, Jesus is saying, hey, it's got to end. There is no more. You can't tell truth on a sliding scale anymore. There's no crossing your fingers. Because this is not what you do. You see, the result, the result of not swearing, the result of not taking oaths is just simply to say, I must allow my yes and no to stand alone. So Jesus is saying, you cannot tell the truth on a sliding scale. And He is saying that honesty must be born, must be lived from a heart bent on integrity. Notice what he says in verse 37. He says, simply let your yes be yes and no be no, and anything that beyond that uh, comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Jesus is saying, honesty is not just the best policy. Honesty is the righteous policy. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment. That all you have to do is tell a lie. Uh, There's a single moment in your life that all you have to do is, is live with one false statement. All you have to do is, is tell one little white lie. That's it. I mean, let's think about it, really. I mean, people are telling lies all the time, right? I was looking at some research on lying this last week. One research firm found that that people are lying all the time. That that people, in fact, cannot have a 10-minute conversation uh, without one of the other persons lying. A 10-minute conversation. There was one study that suggested that two-thirds of American students, two-thirds of American students have lied to a teacher, have lied to a parent, have lied to a friend or someone else in the last three months. 
There was one study, in fact, that said on average, the average American adult will lie about two times every day. And they went on to suggest that perhaps they were lying about how often they were lying. People lie all the time. What's one little dishonest word? I did an informal survey this week with my friends. I just, I just simply kind of uh, uh, let it out there. Hey, what is it that people lie about? Well, people lie about their age. People lie about their weight. People lie about what dress size or pant size they wear. People lie about how tall they are or how not tall they are. People lie about how much they sleep in. People lie about the growth of their business. People lie about how much they make. People lie about what they pay on their taxes. People lie about how much they give to charity. In fact, it seems like just by this informal survey that people are lying about a whole lot of things. And there's all sorts of reasons why people lie. There's all sorts of reasons that people might decide to be dishonest, to, to, to say a little white lie. Oftentimes it seems like people want to lie because they think that uh, somehow that it will lead to some level of success, right? I mean, they want some favorable outcome. They're in a job interview. And they be, are begun to be asked about their accomplishments, about what they've done in life. And, 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 and they, they say a little bit of the truth, and then they stretch it just a little bit uh, to try and make themselves appear more favorable in the eyes of the employer. And so they lie just a little bit to try and get the job. Maybe in a dating relationship, people will lie to one another and, and they'll, they'll present a side or they'll not give the whole story about who they have been or who they have been with. And they'll do it just, just so that uh, they make sure that they can actually try and stay in this relationship. All sorts of reasons that people lie, but one of them happens to be that sometimes we think there might be a, a favorable result if we do. Now sometimes uh, people don't just lie about wanting some level of success. Sometimes people lie because, uh, well, they don't want a negative outcome. Sometimes lying is about self-preservation. Your dad told you over and over again not to take the car out, and not to take the car out, and not to take the car out. And one day you just decided you just couldn't help yourself. You knew where the keys were. Dad was gone. He was out of town. And you took the car out. And there was a little ding on the door. You thought, well, maybe dad won't notice. Maybe he'll think mom did it. And so dad comes into your room and he asks you, hey... Did you take the car out? And in that moment, you decided to lie because you thought it was best for your self-preservation. 
And this sort of thing might happen all the time. You get caught with an employer, and they ask you a very straightforward question, and you decide that you're going to lie about it because uh, you want to be sure that you avoid some negative result. Maybe we do this with our spouses. Maybe we hide some things from them. Maybe we don't tell them the full truth uh, because uh, we feel like if they knew the full truth, then they really wouldn't accept who we are. And so we lie so that we can stay in this relationship. It was interesting in, in some of my research this week, I found that one of the most common lies is students to teachers. Now being a teacher, I kind of leaned in on this one. Here it was. Students... The gig is up. The mo- one of the most common lies from students to teachers. I really did my homework. I just forgot it at home. We lie because we want to avoid some negative grade or negative relationship or negative outcome. And sometimes, quite frankly, it's, it's not even about a good things or bad things, but uh, maybe we lie because we want to ignore some troubled area in our life. Uh, Maybe we want to deflect. Maybe we're in denial. Maybe your spouse has destructive behavior habits. Maybe they make choices with uh, substances that you can't stand. But when other people ask you about it, uh, you're just in denial. You can't hardly believe that this is happening in your life. And so you lie. You lie about the truth because you want to cover things up. Maybe you lie about the, uh, the decisions of an adult child because they're making decisions in their lifestyle uh, that don't agree with you, and so you've decided to lie about it because you can't possibly handle the embarrassment uh, of having a child that lives that way. But in all of the lying, in all of the lying, Jesus is saying so clearly this morning that the righteous one that the kingdom citizen is honest. That they're as truthful as God Himself would be. Uh, Jesus is saying, honesty is not just the best policy, it is the righteous policy. This week I was looking through several different things and I, and I thought, how is it that we're going to make a decision on whether or not we are going to be honest people? What's the test that that we will either affirm in us this desire for truthfulness, the desire to be honest, the desire to to have integrity? What's the test that we either affirm this or deny it in ourselves? All of you get to go back to college. If you never went to college, you get to go back there. You're in college. You're about ready to graduate. You have been told that you have one class left. Now the unfortunate part is you thought you were already done. You're going to finish up an accounting degree. Uh, You have this accounting degree all wrapped up and then uh, the school calls and says, um, 
we made a mistake. You have one class left. It happens to be one of those intro-level classes, American Literature. And you cry and you moan and you wail over the phone, but, uh, but as you know, the registrar is not going to let you just get by. You have to take the class. Now, there's more tied to this than you think. You've already lined up a job. You have a job. Now, you have to pass the class. You have to graduate in order to get the job. And it's not just about getting the job. You see, uh, there's this person, and her dad thinks that you're a deadbeat. But you've been telling him about this job that you're going to get when you graduate. And he's finally consented to the fact that you can marry his only daughter. So if you pass this class, you get the job and you get the daughter... Life's going to be great. And so you, with all of the energy that you possibly can, come into this American Lit class. The first book you have to read is The Scarlet Letter. It was supposed to be a book filled with all sorts of passion but somehow it's managed to be terribly boring. Once you get done with that, you, you read Huck Finn and you're thinking about just going off on the river by yourself. After that, it's page after page of poetry. The problem with this poetry is it doesn't even rhyme. And you make it through. Your last assignment, your last assignment, there is one thing standing in your way between you and graduation, between you and the job, between you and your future marriage, and it's Moby Dick. (laughs) Now, you may not know about Moby Dick. Moby Dick is 800 pages about a whale. You're from Iowa. You don't care about the whale. All you want is to pass this class, get the job, get married, and get on with life. You've been a good sport up until this point, but 800 pages about a whale you can't handle. So you go to the bookstore. You go to Amazon.com and you get the cliff notes. You get the summary by someone who's probably way smarter than you, who probably understands Moby Dick way more than you. And so you decide to go get the cliff notes and you read through them. And you decide, well, so that I'm really ready for the final, I'll go ahead and rent both movies. I'll rent the old Moby Dick movie and the new Moby Dick movie with that Star Trek guy that's bald. You are ready. You don't care if you get an A in this class. You don't care if it's a C or a D. I mean, after all, C's and D's get degrees, right? 
You walk into the final. You've read almost everything. And the professor hands you the test. And there's one question. Did you read Moby Dick? What do you do? What do you do? You're the student. The paper, the test is sitting right in front of you. What do you do? I mean, after all, uh, the cost is pretty high. If you don't get the degree, you don't get the marriage, you don't get the job, your life seems over as you know it. No one's ever going to know, but you're going to know and God's going to know. How do you answer the question? Let me ask it a different way. When the cost is extremely high, When you have to make a choice that will potentially change your life, maybe not even for the better. When the cost is like in the stratosphere of telling the truth, is your integrity for sale? So, what would you do? How would you answer the question? You've obviously not read the material, but the cost is really, really high. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is saying honesty is not just the best policy, it's the righteous one. How many of you have your integrity for sale? Uh, let me ask maybe a different question. How many of you, how many of you want a spouse that's sort of honest? That's sort of filled with integrity? Nobody. Uh, how many of you want an employer or an employee that's sort of honest? Anybody? How about when you take your car in to get it worked on? Do you want a mechanic that's sort of honest with you? How about a doctor? Walk in, you have to have a major procedure done. Do you want them sort of honest with you? How about a surgeon? Sort of honest? Is that okay? Several years ago, I was uh, preaching, teaching in Rushville, Illinois. There was a farmer in our church, and uh, he, had a, he had a large uh, plot of ground, and he had a large anhydrous tank in one of his, uh, one of his uh, you know, machine shed areas. Huge tank. I don't know how many hundreds of gallons it was. He's got this giant anhydrous tank, and he comes in one day, and he notices that one of the nozzles, however it happens, had been blown off of it, and an hydrus, for who knows how long, had just been pouring all over the place. In that moment, he, he had a choice to make. What was he going to do? He, he could choose in that moment to, to cover it up, to, uh, 
put some dirt over it to have the anhydrous tank refilled. Or he could contact the local environmental officials and go through the high cost of not only having them come, but of all the fees, of all the damages he was going to have to pay. He decides to call the environmental folks. His name is kind of run through the mud. Oh, did you, did you see what Paul did? I can't believe it. It's a high cost to him financially. It wrecks him every night. He has a hard time sleeping. And yet it seems like his integrity wasn't for sale that day. It seems like what he was living by was Jesus saying, let your yes be yes. That what he was living by was saying, honesty isn't just the best policy, but it's the righteous policy. What will you do when you're handed the test? Let me pray with you. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness. Father, you are challenging us in ways that is hard. That we're having to look deeply into ourselves. We're having to challenge our own assumptions. Father, give us the courage to be honest. Give us the courage to be truthful. Give us the courage and the boldness to live with integrity. Father, help us to be people who are honest. Father, help us to figure out how to live this righteous life. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace to us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.